0: Breakups and divorce can be extremely painful, lonely, and confusing, but I believe your breakup can be your biggest breakthrough. I'm Lindsay Ellison, author, coach, speaker, and single mom of two awesome young men. Welcome to a podcast about finding joy and inner peace after a breakup. You may not be able to see what's on the other side yet, but I promise if you do the healing work, your life will transform in ways you never thought possible. Welcome to Unbreakable You. The majority of my listeners and clients are women, but most people think it's by choice or it's something I do in my marketing to attract women or something that I do on purpose. But that's actually not the case. My theory as to why I have fewer male clients and listeners is that men typically suffer in silence. Especially when they are dealing with a narcissistic spouse or ex. Because female narcissists, in my opinion, can be far more covert and manipulative than male narcissists. So, like male narcissists, female narcissists can verbally abuse their spouse, but our culture and legal biases often can't believe that a man can be a victim of abuse or at least verbal abuse or emotional abuse especially now in the light of the Me Too movement. So when their male victim experiences such abuse, their shame prevents them from finding help or talking about it with their friends and family. Well, today I'm talking with Jude Sandville, who has made it his life mission to break down that paradigm by creating a community for men to thrive after divorce, including legal battles, Parenting skills, co parenting, dating with kids, and more. He is the founder of the Divorce Dadvocate and is an integrative wellness and life transformation coach, as well as an integrative NLP, which means neuro linguistic programming. And he uses cutting edge approaches to uncover any hidden challenges that may be sabotaging you with the goal of leaving you renewed, and re energized, and inspired. So, even if you're a woman listening to this, I encourage you to take note because perhaps you have a son, a brother, or a male friend who might be struggling. And who knows? What we discuss on this episode might even help you. I have a feeling it will. So, here's my interview with Jude Sandville. Well, hey, Jude, welcome to the show.
1: Fritz Beer, Lindsay.
0: So I'm really excited to be talking to you today because I feel as though that men and divorced dads are often kind of an underserved community, and a lot of people, I think, in the, even in the podcast world, we're always talking about divorce and and a lot of the things that women go through. And I know that a, a you know big chunk of my audience is women. But I also have some really, really awesome, loyal, supportive male followers that have been um, either on my clients or they've just been listening to me for the, gosh, past several years. So I'm really excited to have you on the show with me to talk about all things dad. (laughs) And um, you are what's called, or what you call yourself is a divorced dadvocate. So I'd love for you to share with us what that is and what inspired you to become the divorced advocate.
1: Sure. So you're ex- you're exactly right in your observation that it there's just not the, s- the same resources out there for dads who are divorced or or divorcing. And the 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 biggest secret is that men mm-hmm are going through all of the same things that women are going through during a divorce, uh, you know the same emotions, same uncertainty, all of those same things. The difference is, is it happens in a different way for, for men. And so that was what got me uh, interested and involved in starting to do work with divorced or divorcing dads. I personally am a divorced single father of three daughters. I've got a 16, a 14 and a 12 year old daughter Uh, for a great portion of their lives. I've been raising them by myself. And so um, when I started working with men, I started to see, wow, wow, I wish I would have had these resources myself, I really think that we need to create a community for divorce or divorcing dads to come find whatever it is that they might need, whether that's mental, emotional help, just help on how you're going to be a single dad and make dinner every single night and take care of homework and do pickups and drop-offs or the flip side, which was my big challenge is if I you are involved, how are you going to handle it when you don't have your kids 50% of half the time, maybe. And that brings up a a whole bunch of emotions and challenges uh, in and of itself. And so what we've done is we've created an awesome community for uh, for men that are or dads that are either contemplating divorce in the middle of divorce or post divorce that they can come and find resources, whether that's legal help or um, or therapists or group coaching or workshops or classes or anything, or just anything that you need to, to get through divorce.
0: Do you have full custody of your daughters?
1: So my oldest lives with me full time and the other two are, uh, 50, 50, but we are currently in court also, and it's just an ongoing thing. It's, um, it's what god has blessed me with uh with being giving me knowledge to to do what i do so every day i'm not only sharing and creating a community for the men but i'm living a lot of it as well
0: yeah well when you were going through the divorce or you you are divorced correct
1: i am divorced yes
0: all right so before you were going through the divorce whether you were thinking about it or the marriage is starting to kind of fall apart what were some of the the biggest fears that you had And I'd love to, you know, kind of try to get at it from this male perspective that maybe women, to my women listeners, may may not think that men go through those things.
1: Sure. Well, the first thing I'll say is each of our fears are different, right? Like I I don't know that you can say any 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 woman's one fear. There's like one specific, like all of our lives color exactly how we deal with things mentally and emotionally. And so for, for me, my, my fear and and my biggest challenge was that what I had envisioned, what I had designed as the life that that I wanted since I was a was a child, a marriage and the house and the kids and everything was just and and I was never going to get a divorce, right? My parents were divorced, and so everything that I had created, everything I had done, right, everything that was was what I wanted, what I thought I wanted, right? Because you know, God has other plans right. usually. <laughs> was was going to come crashing down, and it and it did, and so that was the the big fear, and then once it starts happening, it becomes unbelievably chaotic, no matter whether you're a, a woman or a man. And the challenge for men really is in that time of chaos. We, men like order, that's just kind of our masculine nature. And so having things be so chaotic during divorce because there's, you really don't know what's going to happen. You don't kind of know what that's going to look like on the backside, how co-parenting is going to be, how you're going to be a single dad, um, what the financial situation is going to look like, what the relationship is going to look like with your ex after the fact, because you don't want it to be the same as it was in the marriage, right? That's the reason you're getting a divorce. So it's all so chaotic and difficult and challenging. So I think that's actually a good thing for the the dads that I work with, because then it creates an an opportunity for them to really face a lot of those fears uh, that are coming up. And then we can do something with it.
0: Right. Well, I have this theory or philosophy, and I'd love to kind of like run it by you.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: That men struggle a little bit more when it comes to divorce or the relationship ending more than women, because of the cultural setup that men have had to face their entire lives, the, their entire trajectories of their lives, which is when <clears throat> women get together, let's say you're struggling and you know, you're thinking about getting a divorce and you have girls nights. And yep. so we all get together. And whether it's, let's just say it's someone's house and we're all talking about everything. We talk about every detail, every feeling, every emotion. (laughs) And we could literally talk about one topic for three hours with lots of wine. And, and by the end of that girl's night, I, I feel better. Let's just say where men do this. Hey dude, how's your, um, what's going on with your life? Um, yeah, man, I'm getting divorced. Oh dude, that sucks oh, did you catch the game?
1: Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, it's like not cool. And, and, and maybe I think it's getting better. I'd say over the past 10 years that I've been doing this, I think it's, it's gotten a little bit better, where it's just not culturally accepted for men to get together in a social environment where they're really talking about, you know, their thoughts, feelings, you know, fears, right. um, all of that. And, and so I kind of wanted to say, you know, am I right in that?
1: I, th- I believe you are in, I attribute to, we, I, I, I mentioned masculine nature, feminine nature. These are generalizations, right? That are, are a majority of maybe men or women and how they operate. And I feel what you just described is, is, is women do and just naturally are able to create community a lot easier than than men are. So yeah, you have these uh, built in communities already. And I was just having a conversation with a woman that last week, and she said during her divorce, well, I had these five communities of women, right, that I could, that could support me through this. And I said, yeah, I had my one drunk friend that I could talk to, like once a week and his, it was great that I had him, but you know, it was like, we're out drinking, talking about the game or whatever. And his advice was horrible. So, right. but at least I had one friend, <laughs> a lot of yeah. guys do this and they go, they isolate and we get isolated. We kind of get siloed in our families and because women have created this community. And when we separate, they have the community, the men don't quite have anybody uh, and there, and it's difficult for us to to reach out. It might be embarrassing. The, the resources definitely are not as open or as available. Now there are they are out there if you want them, but it's not as pre, it's not as prevalent as they they are out there for for women, which isn't a bad thing because it's necessary. But it's necessary for for both men and women. I and I feel you're right. It is getting better, but we really really have a long way to go, and that's. That is shown in some of the statistics around male suicide and mental mm-hmm. health and, and the challenges that men have. So I think your hypothesis is very, very accurate.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about, I think it's, I don't know, I would say that it's not talked about enough, which is the notion of female bullies, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the female covert narcissist. And again, the work that I do, I talk about narcissism all the time and narcissistic abuse, navigating a high conflict divorce, all of these things, narcissists. But again, most of my clientele is women. And I really do think that there's this notion that female narcissists just are few and far between. And, and, you know, I've looked for, for research, you know, people ask me, is it, is it, are male are men more narcissists than women? And the data that I have found that, yes, there are more male narcissists, but I, I almost wonder the reason why that data is there is because females are much better yeah. at being covert narcissists right. and just, the data is not there. And so I find that when a lot of the men that I coach, they're dealing with a female bully or a narcissist or a potential, you know, their, their soon to be spouse or ex-spouse, sorry, their soon to be ex spouse is a narcissist or at least a bully. And one of the things that I find very, very damaging for men is admitting to their community that they are being bullied or abused by a woman. Yes. Right. It just, is completely emasculating and I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on how much are you seeing that in your community and what are men doing in order to, to, you know, fight the bully or, recover from abuse?
1: Right. Well, first I'll say that I try to temper this because I feel like a lot of the men that that come to our community are dealing with this. And so I think I see it more than is common. Out in 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 the general population, and, I, and you're the expert on this. And it's not a majority of people that are that are clinically narcissistic in, in relationships or in the world, right? It's a smaller, it's a small minority uh, of people. And and like you said, when you look at the statistics, I I, I just it, there's not one or the other. I have more women say to me, if you think we're the fairer sex and that we are not manipulative and that we don't do like we're not, you know, we can just be as nasty as men can be just in a different way then you're crazy. And so and, and I have women say that. And and, and so um, it's just human nature, right? It, that doesn't fall along the lines of, of these disordered personalities. I don't feel fall along the lines of just men or women or along that that uh that masculine or feminine nature like i was I was saying earlier i feel like these disordered personalities happen because of what's happened in in our childhood right which is Absolutely. which are the sources which are the sources of why these uh this happens right so so trying to trying to say like what that it happens more with men or another i think it's more prevalent, like you said, and your audience is probably well-versed with the covert and overt. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to see the men that are overtly narcissistic, right? They're out there. They're, they're <laughs> you, you just can't, you can't miss them. But, um the, but the, 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 the covert ones, like, like women, te- I feel like women tend to be, you're exactly, exactly right, Um are so hard to spot. And we were talking about this just right before we got on is that can be very, very insidious because then once you get the over ones are easy to avoid, right? You, you see Absolutely. them and you're like, okay, I'm running away from that. But like I was like, I was telling a friend of mine last night, I can be in a room of a hundred women and I can be attracted to the covert narcissist in the room. Like it'll be the one woman that is clinically DSM, like verifiable. <laughs> covert narcissist and that'll be the one that I'm, <laughs> that, that I'm attracted to. And so um and, and then but then by the time you figure it out, you know, there it's very very difficult. It's very challenging. You've got all this stuff going on and it's yeah, it can be right. unbelievably challenging. So, to answer your question, I I don't feel like this the it has it runs the lines of just men or women. We all just need to know and understand more about it and really knowing and knowing and understanding more about it is knowing and understanding more about ourselves. Like I just, yeah. like I just said, I know I can go to a room of a hundred women and the one I'm attracted to is going to be potentially a co Now I've gotten better at that, right? My daughter say your picker's broken, daddy. I'm like, yeah, I know. And I'm working on it, but knowing myself and knowing the signs and doing the work that I need to do to understand how that unhealthy dynamic plays out in, uh, in a relationship, knowing the signs that I need to be aware of if somebody's. Acting a certain way, knowing the signs that I need to be aware of of how I'm acting a certain way in in showing up in the relationship too, because I don't want to repeat that. And that's one of the things we talk about immediately when we're doing the work with the divorced or divorcing dads, is that okay? What was the dynamic? What was that unhealthy dynamic in the relationship? And what part did you bring to it? Because when we're talking about, and I'm sure you've talked about this before, when we talk about narcissists, they they can't operate alone. So yeah. they, they need somebody else to participate in this. So we talk about them being bad, but you know, those of us who are the overgivers or potentially the codependent ones that were looking to get something out of that also aren't necessarily any better than them looking to satiate and satisfy their their, you know, it might be deeper seated and, and more difficult and insidious, but it's still. It's still awful for them what they're going through. So, you know, there's both sides of that. So us knowing and learning and understanding what we bring to it, our tendencies, our part of the relationship, really, I think is the number one thing that we can do to try to 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 in a healthy manner move forward and create healthier relationships.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I'd say we, you know, we co-create the chaos yeah. with them. Oh yeah. For sure. And I always say that it's kind of like the narcissist is going to invite you into their tennis court and we we walk in because we think it's going to be a normal game, right? And then they start lobbing a ball and then lobbing a ball and then lobbing a ball. And then, we, and then we're and constantly trying to respond, thinking that we can actually co-parent and have this co-creation of great conversation. And we can't, and we just have to actually just put our rackets down and walk away. Yeah. So that is that weird co-creation thing that happens. Yeah. Um, what do you think are some of the top mistakes men make in divorce and things that they're not doing that they should be doing?
1: Well, I feel like the first, what you just said is not being aware that women are, will potentially do something that is insidious in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the, the ending of the relationship and that not, but that might not even be. Um, conscious, right? It might just be something that that they're doing that is subconscious, or or just an extension of that unhealthy relationship that they're then wrapping in the children, and they're doing it in court, and then they're making accusations and trying to, like, just like I said, satiate whatever is coming up for them so they don't have to to deal with it. So that would be paying attention to what those behaviors are and protecting your and um, protecting yourself from that because. And, and we talk a lot about this on my podcast and I show is when you're protecting yourself, you're also protecting your children because they need to have a healthy father in order to get through to get through this process, but then also to be able to go move forward from this process and heal and create a healthy relationship with you. And if you're not doing that, if you're setting if you're setting yourself up for failure and you're not paying attention to it. Uh, and you're not taking care of yourself. So self-care, that would be another thing, taking care of yourself and making sure that you can. It's the whole oxygen mask uh, philosophy. You got to put the oxygen yep. mask on yourself first before you can put it on somebody else uh, on the airplane. So you need to be taking care of yourself too. So uh, if you're not making sure that you're doing that, then you're setting yourself up for failure. You're going to make it more difficult for your kids, more difficult to co-parent, more difficult uh, in the future. And that's really hard particularly in the context that that you were describing if you have somebody that's personality disordered and you're overgiving or you're codependent and now you're having to try to figure that out on yourself uh, for yourself and how to do all that and you know that can be really really overwhelming because even the best of divorces that might be harmonious are challenging and so put personality disorders and contentious and high conflict and all the other stuff on top of that. And it makes it even more, more difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely an issue. And I'm, I'm, I have a phrase that I'm going to throw out to you. And before I define it, I want you to try to define it or, Uh or ask you what this means. Okay.
1: Okay. Quiz time.
0: So I think that one of the biggest mistakes that men make Uh, in divorce is what I call the nice guy syndrome. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, So what do you think? I'm just throwing this out there. What, what do you think the nice guy syndrome might be?
1: So nice guy. So Robert Glover writes a lot about no more Mr. Nice guy. And Uh nice guy syndrome is just a form of codependency. So it's uh, it's a, it's, it's just a repackaged way of trying uh, to get your needs met by wanting to do something for somebody else. And oftentimes it happens when you have, so that would have, so 10 years ago, when I started getting out of work, that would have been exactly how you would describe me. Like Mr. Nice guy, doing everything you can taking you know, changing your career, selling your business, becoming Mr. Like doing everything possible to satisfy everybody and anything in order to create harmony. But what it really is, is trying to get your needs met because you feel like you're not going to, uh, unless you're doing something for somebody else, unless you're, you're not going to get the love. And that came from my childhood and having a parent that was, was narcissistic. And we are always worried about taking care and, 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 and walking on eggshells and making sure that the, they were satisfied because you knew that their love was conditional upon making them happy. And so the night, nice, the whole nice guy syndrome is just, it's just codependency. And, yeah. and so learning your codependency, learning your history, uh, then working through and understanding what those signs are and those traits, like I was talking about earlier, then helps you to state, you know, identify what your needs are first. Cause a lot of us have no idea. We're just, our needs are somebody, whatever everybody else needs. And I'm going to, get my needs that by making everybody else's needs satisfied. And so learning, you know, the process of codependence anonymous or whatever therapy that you go through to, uh, to understand what your needs are, learn how to, to state those needs, get in touch with your feelings, set boundaries, hold those boundaries, do all of that stuff. So, yeah. So, and again, the, just because you're a nice guy doesn't mean that you're doing anything better than the person that's like taking and taking and taking, you're still, doing it and, and I would even say it's like a, a a more insidious covert way in which you're trying to do it. at least the other person's open like I'm just taking <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like there's no bones about it. Like thanks. Yeah. Right. You're still you're trying to do it in a way that is like not upfront. It's uh you know just under underhanded really.
0: Yeah, I I would agree that nice guy syndrome is another word for codependency, and then I also think that it really has a lot to do with um, just a real issue with boundaries. Yeah, that a nice guy is you know trying to always be the good guy, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I think in a male female dynamic, when he's the nice guy, that women, the stronger alpha person in the relationship, in that scenario looks at these guys as pussies, Mm -hmm. and they can completely just walk all over them. And, and then the worst part about that is that the nice guy knows this. And so then he has what I call a shame bind attached to this notion of being nice. So it's almost like this destructive cycle that I think is what causes men to to isolate and to to feel. um, It's kind of like they know they're being like, Pussies a little bit. And I hate that word, oh, yeah. but I'm gonna use it anyway. But it's just it's just a word that often the alpha female calls them. Sure. <laughs> so that's why I'm using it. Um, and and then there's a lot of shame attached to that. So how then do you and, and if you were that nice guy, I'm just curious, what advice would you give for a guy to kind of emerge out of that, you know, out of being the nice guy? Because and, you know, women struggle with it too, you know, we're, we're the, you know, it's any codependent, it doesn't matter what gender you are, mm-hmm. where we struggle with boundaries. But again, I think there's some nuanced differences between men and women and, and how does one emerge to have those boundaries? So yeah, just maybe from your personal experience as to what gets you to emerge, just not so much be this nice guy or the doormat. You know, I always say, what is your name? If I'm talking to a guy who's like that, I'm like, what is your name? Matt? Right. Don't be the doormat. Um, yeah. Right. And so, how do you express yourself and emerge into someone with boundaries? What advice or what's your personal experience that you had to to get you there?
1: Yeah. So that's that's phenomenal. There's a ton. That's like a whole right. show, right? <laughs> that's a ton. There's a ton. Yeah. There's a ton to unpack on 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 that. So we. Ha- so for me personally, it was finally after years of failed relationships saying, oh, I need to really learn and understand like we were talking about earlier, like what part of this dynamic is me and getting to learn yourself. So understanding what that you bring, whatever, whatever part of it, there is a part that you bring to the dynamic. So You need to learn and understand what that is. And so doing self reflection and understanding and that might be therapy, that might be coaching or whatever it is. Um, learning what that is. And, and and then another one for me that I got involved with was uh, Codependence Anonymous mm-hmm. and going through the steps and learning and understanding what all that meant. And then I remember the first meeting I went to, I, was, I, I just said to myself, oh my God, I'm not crazy. There's actually something that they've named this and, and this is what I am. And so, oh, okay. But there's, but the good thing is, is there's a way I can, I can fix all this. And so that was really so for some people there's, that was shame inducing for me, it was free Yeah, and going, Oh, thank
0: God you can empower yourself. And <laughs> you can change. You're not codependents. We're always trying to fix everyone else.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and let me tell you, I jumped into it and, and it was, and it was great. And the other thing I wanted to also mention is you know, we all have some of this, um, again, masculine and feminine natures, in in each of yes. us, so and we see this in in everybody that we come in contact. We we see maybe more masculine women or more effeminate men, and um, some, you know, sometimes that's that's misconstrued for for being a pussy or being a, a nice guy or something else. But it doesn't really even have to be. Just again, knowing and understanding what your your natures are. And I have some very masculine tendencies, but I also have some really Feminine, like you talked about the community and stuff like that. I really like community. I like building community. I like being. I can talk about feelings and do all that. That's like a really like a traditionally feminine nature, right? But but that's just how I and am. And see, so that's that okay. makes you sexy. Well, okay. Well, thank you. But- <laughs> no, I'm just because that's what
0: I say to men. And like that makes like you, if you can have balance of both, that's what makes a guy really sexy.
1: Well, and that's what makes healthy masculinity, right? And a healthy femininity also, because, and I talk about this with my girlfriend, like she's got some masculine traits too, but we know like what the dynamic is between us and how those work together or don't work together. And if they don't work together well, like what do we need to do to like help balance that or make that healthy and not have it, uh, you know, butting heads. And so, and, and butting heads would be where if my codependent nature would come up and, yeah, I would be a nice guy, or be cowtowing to something that I didn't feel comfortable with, and didn't say something, and didn't state my needs or set a boundary. Then, uh, then that becomes a problem, and then that's where things then get off off kilter, right? And then you yeah. don't, and then you don't know. But if you're aware of it, so circling back to your your question, which is knowing knowing yourself, doing the work that you need to do, whatever that might be. It could be group work. It could be, it could be like, if you have a church community, it could be uh, in therapy. If you've got the means to do that or, or hiring a coach or a coach in therapy, which I think is like the absolute best thing you could possibly be, be doing because you're working on on past stuff and then you're working on how to move forward and, and how to get results. And, and so, you know, spend the time we spend so much time, Lindsay, planning stuff like um, our weekends and our vacations yeah. And like what car we're going to buy, but we don't spend as much time thinking about, okay, uh, I need to get a therapy once a week, but that's not enough. I need to schedule the time that I'm going to be doing my meditations or my journaling. Uh, I need to make sure I'm getting enough sleep. I need to, to make sure that I'm exercising. You know, I talk about it as the four pillars, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual, that you're cultivating all that stuff and you got to schedule it in. You actually got to say, I love myself and I care about myself enough that I'm going to, I'm going to do my therapy. I'm going to go to church or uh, have a spiritual group, or I'm going to go exercise and, you know, have all that stuff in place in order to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. And it's about balance. And I talk about the same thing. And in, in my, in my coaching program, I talk about the five domains of our lives. Um, mm-hmm. And that the, the fifth one is the relationship you have with yourself. Yeah. So the, 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 It's the narrative you have with yourself. It's the self-talk. It's the self-esteem because codependence, all we do is typically we've been conditioned as children to other esteem. We get esteem from others other than self and having self-esteem if we've been raised by a narcissistic parent is bad because then that typically um, creates a narcissistic injury with said parent. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we were taught not to self-esteem and to only gain esteem from that parent. And so- I do find that, um, this, I'm so glad you mentioned CODA because I talk a lot about, um, love addiction and yeah. codependency in CODA is seen as an addiction yep. and, in in coda and as you can probably tell that i speak your language because i've Mm -hmm. done coda as well Uh, and i find it to be um an amazing resource especially for men because especially now um covid had a wonderful thing happen to 12 step everything because you can now join any 12 step meeting all over the world and uh in zoom and so it's really wild to go to some of these larger coda meetings or any any 12-step meeting. Um, there's Love Addiction Anonymous, Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous. There's right. all sorts of I mean, I going on about that. But um, there are so many uh, groups out there globally, worldwide. So when you get on these Zoom calls, you need to see two, 300 people from all over the world, men and women, who are all talking about the same thing. And the number one issue is, is how we were raised and what the mental... Um, conditioning we have and in coda anonymous or in twelve steps, everything you know alcoholics have a drinking problem, codependents have a thinking problem. Mm-hmm. So that's really our problem. So it's distorted thinking and that distorted thinking is resulted and comes from our parents and our family system in which we were raised to have that distortion, these thought distortions because it pulled away from our authentic selves, right? Right. Yep. So somewhere in your childhood, June, you were actually probably a good balance. You, you, you were your great balance of masculine, feminine energy, and somewhere, you were told one or the other is wrong.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. In order to
0: fit the family system, to adapt. Right. Exactly. So that's what we call our adapted self. So finding one's authentic self is probably the best place to do it. Is through divorce, actually. Oh yeah
1: right well yeah it, yeah this is it's what gonna, I love it's about gonna divorce force you <laughs> yes it's gonna force you to
0: it forces you and so this is why everyone asks me well Lindsay how can you do what you do all day long and you're talking about the worst people's time in your life and I think it's the best time in your life it's the hardest it's the most challenging but it's the time in which we have this one opportunity to reset because this entire relationship was not working for years and years and years and um there were red flags going on from day one. It always is, and so our authentic selves we ignored it. And so as we are starting to get into this relationship, it starts to end. Our authentic self starts to reemerge, and no one likes it, right? So our partner oh. who is seeing that side of us gets threatened. Yeah, and so we think it's wrong, right. and so then we start to 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 feel guilty and to see whether or we start to question ourselves, is this the right move? Right. And I love seeing anyone's journey, men or women, but I'm just curious as to kind of how did you emerge into your authentic self? And 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 once you started to kind of play around in that arena, like was, was everyone around you kind of like, who is this guy?
1: Yeah, well, that's... That's the thing that is sometimes challenging, and disconcerting, because you're basically metamorphosizing into somebody completely new, right? So you're doing the caterpillar to the butterfly thing and people, and it's not just in a romantic relationship, it could be your family members, it could be your coworkers, it's like a whole new person. And so that that's, like, it's a whole new life. It's a whole new dynamic for you when you're going through it. And and I wanted to add to what you said, which you said so perfectly uh, about that, that um, process is the the biggest thing for me that was freeing, or I guess the, the next biggest thing that was freeing was that uh, understanding that it wasn't my fault, mm. right? So it wasn't my, this thinking was not my fault if this i it, it wasn't it was something that was put into my head that i didn't one day wake up and say well hey it's uh let's see it's monday and i think i'm going to become massively codependent today and i am just going <laughs> to choose to be stepped on you know overgive all the time have people give i didn't choose that like there's no point in my life that i consciously decide to do that and so going through the steps, learning about that, that was so free to know that, okay, well, good. This wasn't my fault, but now that it now that it's to my conscious awareness, now it's up to me. So, and this is sometimes where, where you get stuck, right? If, cause now it's harder. It's actually, it's the devil that you know, or the unknown. What are you? What yeah. are you? What are you going to do? Are you going to go through those steps? Or are you going to go to a meeting? Are you going to get therapy? Are you going to break that relationship that is not serving you or not serving your family? Or that you know, like then is that's when the work really really starts. And that's I mean, some people, it's an opportunity. I, I say this all the time, exactly like you said, and people th- say the same thing to me. An opportunity in divorce? Are you crazy? This is insane. This is the most painful, awful thing. I never want. I don't want ever. I want to just bury it. I want to hide from it. I want to run away. I don't want to deal with it. This is awful. But if you can reframe, like, like you just described, which is, oh look, man, you're gonna, you're not running away from it. It's not gonna go away. You're getting it. you know, if you've, if yeah. you're already down this process, you're getting a divorce, and you've got a whole myriad of things to deal with now. So you can deal with it. You can face it, or you can. You, know, you can try to hide from it, but it's gonna keep kicking your butt.
0: <laughs> yeah. I always um liken divorce to birth. So, you know, when a woman is in labor and she's just about to give birth, there's this thing called transition. Mm. I mean, they will literally say, Oh, you're in transition, right? So it's now going to the birth canal, and then this thing has to come out of just 10 centimeters. I mean, what yeah. the hell is that about? Right? right. And, and that's, and think about those moments when, it, whether you've witnessed this as a man and watching your wife give birth yep. or a woman is giving birth three times. The fr- thing is like, Oh my God, here it comes. And we're scared. And we're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And everyone's telling you to push, do it. And so then you bear down and you literally like have to like be in the pain in order to, to push and and give birth. And once you do the most amazing miracle happens, right? And it's the same thing with divorce. So once you start to uh, just, you're in that, you're in that transition and it hurts and it's painful, but if you were to just push bear down and literally like focus and get through it and just know that this amazing miracle is coming out on the other side and that birth, I think is actually you.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And you can use that analogy. I can't. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the the one that I use is for and for men, obviously, because I work with men is uh, in athletics, if they're going into the gym, and they're going yeah. in the first time to the gym. So divorce, hopefully you're not, you're not doing it more than one time, right? If, right. If, if you're doing the work, but you go in that first time, and it is painful. And it's uncertain, you might not know how to use the weights, you might not know what you're doing everybody around you is looking at you like it's so uncomfortable and weird and you do it the first time and and then you get out of there and your muscles are hurting and hurting and hurting and hurting and then you you gotta show up the next time and you keep doing it but after a while you start to see that you get the results and and you get more results the more you lean into the pain and the difficulty of it and 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 even if you can get to the point where you welcome it and and this resonates with guys in the gym. They're like, "Yeah, okay, that's I'm I'm going and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick my butt because I know I'm gonna get a result." That's great. We can we can do the same thing mentally, and emotionally, if we get to the point where, oh, something this is coming up now. This like this is graduate level, right, Lindsay? Graduate yeah. level. If you can get something that's coming up that's so painful or is eliciting an emotion that's uh, that's fear or sadness, and um, and it happens, right, when we wonder, oh. Why is this coming? But if you can stop and you can really lean into it and go, Oh, this is something that is my body's prompting me to pay attention to, to try to understand and sort through because there's an opportunity on the back end to grow from this, then like that's where the magic happens. You can start paying attention to those emotions come up and and then not react to them and have a behavior that's uh that's gonna be detrimental. You can take it and then you can marry that with the intention that you want for your life and say, Well, what is the behavior that I want to move to that intention? Is be angry and have an angry outburst? Probably not. So, what do I do with this anger? Well, let me process it, let right. me journal about it. Or maybe if I'm not before I journal, I gotta go, you know, smash something in the garage or <laughs> whatever it might be, and yeah. then take that behavior and move it towards what the intention is that that you want then that's where then wow you can really have some growth and then that's where you start attracting all of this stuff beautiful relationships with with men and women beautiful relationships with your children your coworkers, stuff starts to work in your life the 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 great job or the business that you want i mean all this starts to to evolve from what you might have thought was this destructive awful and it is there's some destruction because, you know, in rebuilding, you need to destroy things in, in order to rebuild back up, but it can be even bigger and beautiful on, 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 the back end.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've, I've witnessed, you know, I have a boyfriend who I'd say is, you know, got kind of the similar journey as you, right. Just, uh, w- was dealing with a very high conflict ex spouse and was the guy who just did everything. Just, he was the nice guy. And, um, and one thing that I saw, he described to me before I met him was how much he just dove into his work and how men just do that. They just escape into work or they escape, they escape. It doesn't matter where they go, right? They just escape. And the, the process in which you just outlined is to what that work is and what that work looks, looks like. That's why I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing, because I think that men don't even know that that process exists, partly because they're just not taught it culturally. I mean, and they're women,
1: just not. Men and women. I, I I feel like I meet as many women that don't know or understand emotions and feelings. Because women emote doesn't mean that they know what's happening behind the scenes. So that's a fallacy True. that I feel is completely untrue, that, that women are more in touch with their feelings, emoting and being in touch and really understanding where it comes from, that process, et cetera. I think it's equally off-keel with men and women out there. And, and that's something that I, I I welcome now that we're talking more mental health in our society in in general. Um, but we've got still we've we've still like. Created this line, it's men and women, it's not, it's it's humanness, it's both of us that have these. Emotions, emotions aren't, are aren't masculine or feminine. It doesn't just happen to men or women it happens to everybody. And so I feel that the more that we talk about this stuff and, in are open about it and, you know, talk and, and, are vulnerable in sharing it, that, that the, the more light shines on it, the more we understand it, the more healthy our relationships are are going to be about it because, um, because you're right. And, 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 and the other things I see women equally, as much as men, uh, you know, self-numbing or escaping from it, and that men do work because, like, men are driven, and and then there's some result on the end, and they, it maybe makes them feel better. Um, you know, I, I think women are probably more bound, are more um, inclined to to substance abuse and um, uh, alcohol or drugs or, or or self-soothing in some other way like that. But it's all escape, right? Whether it's work, whether all it's escape. drugs, whether it's video games, whether it's sex. I mean. Our society really, Lindsay, when you look at it, from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed, we could escape from all of those emotions and feelings if we want to. Just pick up the phone the moment you wake yeah. up and then you can be numbing, hiding, running, whatever you want until you go to sleep.
0: Yeah, well, in you know CODA and SLAW, which is uh, Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that we learn is that we have been taught to make someone else our higher power. yeah, And so that is really one of the biggest mistakes um, codependents make when they're in a romantic partnership is we just make this other person our higher power and we don't have boundaries around this person. And I, I don't care, I always say, if, I don't care even if you're married, just because you're married does not mean that gives marriage gives you this license to make the other person each other's higher power you still can have swim lanes within a marriage. You can still have boundaries within a marriage. And culturally, we have been conditioned, whether it's in our, in our childhood home or even outside the childhood home, to always make something else our higher power. We are institutionalized mm-hmm. to think, not to think about ourselves, yeah. but to make someone else our higher power. And that is the constant work that I'm doing every week when I'm talking on this podcast is to Always remember that you are your own higher power. That is it. You and your higher power are one united front and 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 together. Uh when you have that spiritual connection with self, this yeah. journey makes it a hell of a lot easier, right? Yeah. To, to, yeah. to do let's uh,
1: let's 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 talk about that because so I told you my four pillars, and the spiritual one is the one that oftentimes, and I think this is. Uh, you know across the uh, across the board men and, and women the one that we that we let fall by the wayside the mo- the, the most and, and and let's also just define it when we say spiritual we're not talking about maybe maybe it is a religious practice for you but it's not necessarily a religious practice and it's not one specific it's having some connection to something that is bigger and greater than yourself yep. and so that for some people that can be nature but you need to have it in order to cultivate that that balance that you need in your life. Because like you said, the codependence, we just, yeah, we totally, totally lose that. And then we get focused. And some people it's like their kids or some people it might be their families. It could be anything. Some, some people it's their, it's uh, work, men, oftentimes it's their, their work. Right. And so making sure to cultivate Uh, a spiritual life and a spiritual practice is critically, critically important, whatever that whatever that might be for you so that you can get grounded. So you can get in touch, it's going to help you get in touch with what these emotions and what these feelings are, because then it's just not all scattered over the place. You're like, you're grounded in something that allows you then to to be able to focus in on what it is that that might be coming up.
0: Yeah, and I, a lot of my listeners know this, but I'll say it anyway, is that, you know, when I was breaking up with my husband, I, I was in so much pain. I mean, physical pain. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I was heartbroken. I mean, when I, when they say your heart breaks, I mean, that's what it feels like. You feel yeah. your heart and your stomach, just you're sick. You're in, in, and, and, uh, I recognize that so much of that was withdrawal and detoxing from a really crappy situation. And, um, my brain was craving it in many ways, even though you were like, well, Mm -hmm. Lindsay, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you crave toxicity? Because the only thing, you know, it's the only that you don't, it, you know, it's, it's the unknown. You said, you know, you said this earlier, it's the unknown. That's, that's the scariest part. It's the known that's a little bit easier. And I just remember all I could do was pray. That's all Mm. I could do was pray to get through this pain and just ask my higher power to take it away. Cause that's, and um, and then through that process, I started writing down whatever guidance and messages that I was feeling, and then I ultimately created a book about it, "Blessings of a Breakup," because that was something nice. that I, um, and and I didn't. There was no intention to create a book about it. I just was basically praying meditating and hearing some other higher power other than ego, other than my voice. Right. Right. And I wrote everything down and then I like, well, look at it and I wrote it on my phone. I mean, I was just literally sitting there in my morning meditation, just writing whatever thing that I got on my phone. And sure enough, it was about 90 days worth of stuff. And nice. within that period of time, I literally felt better. I mean, just completely better. And so that's nice. when I decided I'm going to publish it and you can get that on my website, but it's, it's, it's something that I find that if you do not have that spiritual component, this journey is going to be a hell of a lot harder.
1: Yeah. And and I want to tie that, that was beautiful. And I want to tie that into what we we're talking about earlier, which is uh, all the voices in our head of what we've heard before. Right. So mm-hmm. if you can develop that, that uh, that's spiritual practice, whatever it is in prayer it was prayer for you. It's prayer for me too. Um, um, if some people might be meditation, whatever it, it could be, it could be a spiritual practice. Could be going for a walk fifteen minutes a day and yeah. listening to some music that helps you to um, to center, to to center in yourself. And then what will come up is you know, the connection with your higher self, connection with the truth, and not what you're hearing in your head. Like yeah. you said, the, the ego and everything else. And that's when you're then able to start doing that work, start seeing that there's a difference between what's going on. So that's 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 I mean, I lo- I love that you did that and that you wrote that down, but I want people to also see that it's and 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 people are like, Oh, I'm not gonna pray. I don't have a I don't I don't like God or I don't have a relationship with God. Okay, that's fine. That's good. perfectly fine wherever you're at. Find some spiritual practice, and spiritual practice is something you do regularly that helps you to quiet yourself and your mind, get connected with something greater than yourself. Okay, it could be a walk in nature, or maybe you just go and camp in or nature, or whatever. Do that, but what's going to do? It's going to help you separate from all that other crap that's just milling around up there. And trust me, after doing it for years, I've been meditating for like thirty years. The crap still mills around in my head all the time. So it's not like, you know, don't worry if it doesn't feel right or you're not going to get it perfect. Just start to develop something. And like you said, after a period of time, you're going to start seeing a little bit of something's happening. Well, something I'm feeling something different. Like, you know, or it's like, yeah, it's some, there's a it's, shift.
0: It's like magical. I mean, it really it's, mm-hmm. This is the best way I can describe it. It's magical, spiritual. It's, it's, it's cosmic. It's divine. There's something else out Mm -hmm. there, you know, guiding us. And I, I I always say that unless you have a lobotomy and you (laughs) wipe out all of the memories of your childhood past, we will always get triggered always, always, always. And especially when we're up leveling, when we're growing, we're in, when we are in transition, whether it's through a divorce or a new job, or we're moving into a different house. Oh boy, do we get triggered, and we get yeah. triggered back into some old thought patterns that no longer, you know, that no longer are ours. I always say we develop a belief system, and that's short for BS, right? Bullshit, because 90% yeah. of the time, those thoughts aren't really real. Yeah. So it is through the spiritual practice that helps you find your your. You said your truth, your own belief system, um, your own sense of connection and sense of understanding. And, and it's basically quieting down those triggers that, that yeah. really influence, you know, our thoughts, emotions, and our behaviors, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Triggers are good. Yeah. <laughs> triggers are good. Emotions are good. That's all good. That's uh, so the way I look at it is it's uh, the divine making me pay attention to something through my body, right? Yeah. Whether it's uh, like uh, the, the emotions come up, they just, come, and they come up at the worst times they come up when we don't want them to come up because they're supposed to come up for us to pay attention. So they come up like the worst time. I don't want to be crying like in the middle of a meeting, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to get triggered and have the thought coming into my head. That's going to make me break down right there. In the, but it's like there for a reason for us to pay attention. So if you can see it that way, but, but then that, what you do with it then is what is like, where the magic happens. So you can, and if it's not a convenient time, it's okay. Just, don't ignore it. Don't bury it. Don't put it away because yes. guess what? It's going to come back again. Yeah. In, in,
0: <laughs> a, in a much bigger form. We oh it. yeah.
1: Yeah. Much bigger. If you keep ignoring it, but exactly. it's going to totally kick your butt and then you're going to be forced to pay attention to it. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's, it's a good thing. Again, it's leaning into that discomfort. It's so hard to do because we're just our humanness wants us to, to just run away from it. But our our spirit and 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 our soul wants us to pay attention to it because it's it's growth. It's our it's our it's our soul and our spiritual um, gym, right? It's our, it's where we're doing that work yep. and building our muscles and, and building our mental, emotional, and uh, you know spiritual part of our lives in order to uh, progress and and get better.
0: Yeah, and and the and the big book, the AA big book, which is the Bible of all twelve steps. They call them God's little workouts, as yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the, those triggers. And so I agree, they're little workouts to get us stronger. Um, Jude, thank you so much for, for coming uh, on to the show and talking. Gosh, we went, we, we, we checked a lot of boxes today and all, all different oh, categories.
1: I, f- I feel like we could probably talk for the rest of the day. I, but, I know, yeah. I
0: know. I definitely think we could. Um, well, first of all, where can everyone find you and tell us a little bit uh, about your podcast and, and, and the name of it.
1: Okay. So the community is the divorced advocate. You can Google that and you can find a myriad of different things that we do. Uh, we have group meetings, the website is the Divorced Advocate, and it's D-I-V-O-R-C-E-D-D-A-D-V-O-C-A-T-E. I'll put it in the show com. notes. The, the Divorced just, yeah. Advocate. So there's two Ds. People often miss that uh, that extra D. Um, but you can go to the website, um, and then we also have uh, the podcast, which you can find on any major podcasting platform. And we have a, a weekly podcast there uh, as well. And then you can connect in with, uh, we have a divorce quiz too, which is, let me, if I don't mind, if yeah. you don't mind just plugging that, we've got a really cool resource. If you're contemplating divorce or you're even going through or just finished with a divorce, it's a call. It's a divorce quiz. And it helps you to kind of gauge where you're at in the divorce process compared to other people who've gone through it. Ooh, I and love that. so it takes about 10 minutes and it's going to give you some immediate results to gauge where you're at and kind of give you five different categories and kind of show you where you might need to be doing some work or where you're doing really, really well. And so um, that's at thedivorcedadvocate.com the under the tab divorce quiz. I'll put the you can, quiz
0: link specifically in the show notes for you.
1: Cool. Or you can go directly to it at the divorce quiz. And that's a really just awesome resource for, for anybody, even if you're post-divorce and you're struggling with relationships or like I did, like not paying attention to my own stuff (laughs) until I figured out I was the common denominator. This will help you to be like, oh yeah, this is my common denominator that I need to figure out.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you'll connect. And I know you have a lot of female audience, you know, a a brother or a son or a father, somebody that might be going through a challenging time in divorce, please share this. We just want to get the word out to more and more divorce, divorcing dads, because creating a healthier and less traumatic divorce helps families. It helps kids. It's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to model something that we probably could never, ever model any other way for our kids, which is getting through a challenging, challenging time and doing it in a in a healthy way. And so uh, the more we share that and more we help other dads, uh, the better.
0: Amen to that. Amen. Well, thank you, Jude. Thanks.
1: It was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Lindsay.
0: Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up for your free subscription to Blessings of a Breakup, where you will receive daily spiritual guidance on getting out of your pain and back to who you really are. Go to my website at lindsayellison.com dot com.